Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Alfonso Powers, Chief Information Security Officer with Asante. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. Alfonso, thanks for joining me. Happy to do it, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me. Very good. Very good. Looking forward to a nice chat. Um, do you want to start off by telling me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Al Alfonso Powers. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Asante. Asante is a small to medium health uh, system located in Southern Oregon and Northern California. We service about nine counties, including 600,000 lives. And I've been with the organization about a little more than six years now. Six years. All right. Very good. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your career journey? I like to see how people wound up in the security side of healthcare sure. IT. Yeah, so I originally started out my career in IT uh, doing um, service and support on a help desk. Um, did that for several years, and then I uh, then I moved into doing more stuff along the lines of network administration and system administration. Um, did that for several years, and then I uh, actually did some web development for a while. I'm kind of kind of picking a little different pieces in the IT space um, here and there. Did that, and then I, I moved on to work for a software development company where I was a network uh, administrator. And then that's when I stepped into a first leadership role as an IT manager. Um, in that role, uh, security was just part of it. And mm -hmm. just kind of, uh, and back in those days, it was just, uh, you did IT, you did security too. And they were kind of seen as one. So did that for about five and a half years. I would say that um, in about 20, 2012, is when I really started um, being more focused in information security. And I went to work for a professional services company. And my role there as a director was uh, was mostly to grow the information security program. And we did things along the lines of uh, auditing, uh, penetration testing, um, assessments. And then at, moving on to Asante, I got my first job as a um, IT manager in information security. And, and I've been with Asante since, and I started that in 2016, got this role as CISO uh, back in um, August of uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems, I mean, I wonder how the evolution goes from uh, being interested in IT um, and then sort of getting, getting almost like a, a medical specialization. You know, you learn general medicine and then you pick your specialty. And it seems like for some folks, security is just the way they get pulled into from their inclinations or their interest could be just happens to be an opportunity but and some don't some sort of stay on the non-security focused it track they still have to know about security but they don't make it their whole world in terms of their career what do you think about that yeah um i i think that's spot on i mean what my experience is is i i've noticed that a lot of um professionals in information security usually didn't start out in, in information security. And it makes sense to a certain degree because, you know, you gotta, you gotta really learn how the systems are built, how they're constructed on, on the technical side to really know how to protect them in, in adequately, in my opinion. Um, and then we see the folks on the other side that do more um, maybe risk management and those sort of things. And they, they really come from more of a business background, really understanding that business side, and they know how to how to how risk actually um, weighs in, in 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 with an asset and overall value to an organization. So, um, 
you know, it's uh, people do eventually in, in IT just need to specialize mm -hmm. um, and branch out. And that's what we've seen. And it's beyond information security. We see that now all over with the with DevOps and in the cloud space and other areas. So. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a spot on. All right. Very good. Uh, what are you looking at in terms of uh, one or two trends that you're saying, I need to position my organization to deal with these things. What are some of the main things on your mind? Yeah, so I think on with probably most CISOs' minds is uh, prevention of partic particularly ransomware is our big big threat out there. So, so we're really weighing that um, you know what we need to put in place from a security control perspective uh, of what's going to be beneficial and actually uh, prevent that threat. Um, fortunately, there's great technology out there to help us get there. And um, it's just, it's always challenging to get it configured in a way that um, is going to be acceptable and not cause business interruption. Um, so we have that, you know, just prevention is really the name of the game um, as far from a technical control perspective. Uh, ransomware is our big threat. I think the other side and, and more towards, or the other other thing, uh, more towards the business side is, uh, you know, we're dealing with uh lower budgets or scrutinized budgets and in most cases uh, smaller teams and so what do we what can we do to actually um, deal with that uh for for me what i've been focusing on is um dealing with this concept of how to do more with less is really adopting more of an automated approach get rid of those day-to-day -day tasks that we can um with uh with automation and really just uh having our resources that we do have really focus on more more things that go beyond the day-to-day. -day. In your mind, is there a difference between automation and AI? Yeah, in a sense, I do think so. Um, with AI, we're usually thinking of things that the system is uh, is kind of learning how to do and taking it and taking some sort of action on that. With automation, we're we're more building our responses off the data that we're collecting from our systems. And we're making the decision, and um, in most cases, from the, in the terms of like a, a playbook of sorts. So uh, uh, we get a, um, a detection, and then on that detection, we'll go through a criteria of uh, if-else statements um, in the playbook, and we'll take the cor the correct action depending on what is uh, what this what it sees in the in the uh, data. So uh, yeah, we know that there's a downturn in the economics, and things are being squeezed in the health system. Uh, and I know it's hitting IT for sure. Not so much from what I'm hearing, not so much the clinicians. You know, everyone's loath to get rid of clinical positions. I mean, that's that's just not something people want to do. It's definitely hitting IT. I would have thought that they'd want to stay away from security just out of fear of the breaches and the repercussions. But it it is hitting security as well. It is to a certain extent. Um, our budget, our budget's been, it's been holding pretty steady. We just haven't been able to add anything, mm -hmm. really anything new. So we've just been kind of treading water, to, so to speak. Uh, the problem, the, the challenge with that is, you know, security, as you know, it's, it's just very dynamic. You know, things change. The threat landscape changes all the time. Um, the demands on on security become just more and more. And this is, uh, in, for a health system, uh, with we keep on bringing on additional um uh, partners and every time we bring on additional partner we have another entry point into our network more more that needs to be secured uh more oversight from there and so we, we have a uh you know we have a, a a climbing volume of requests but we can't keep the same amount of people so that's 
that's why we're trying to figure out how can we address these uh, requests very um, efficiently using what we have um, and the tools that we have already. So more partners, um, we're talking about more vendors that you're working with, uh, more solution vendors, which means more third parties. And we know that that's one of the biggest issues facing CISOs and health systems is third party risk. Absolutely huge. So the number of partners goes up. Um, and what are your thoughts around how to deal with that? I mean, you know, onboarding is one thing, right? We can get our arms around that. Uh, but from what I've been hearing, it's sort of that huge, can we get a huge number of existing vendors, right? Yeah. So I can develop a new process. So as they come on, I can get better at that. But I've got this huge number of existing vendors. And oh, you know, do I need to check them annually? Do I need to check them whenever they have a material change? And what does that checking entail? You talk about automating things. That's something that would seem very difficult to automate that process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, what we've done and, and it's right. We keep getting growing number of vendors and then we get the new ones, which we, yeah, we do have a strict process with them when we bring them on. Um, but going back and how do we, how do we take care of the ones that have been with us for so long? And so we've done a couple things with that. Um, number one is we really uh, have leveraged our contracting process to go back and, and redo those contracts. And in some cases with our vendors put in place memorandums of understanding um, where certain levels of uh, security controls and um, hygiene have to be met before allowing that access. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, I, across the board, any vendor that's going to access our, our network now, if they they must use multi-factor authentication. I mean, it's just kind of a, a staple now in, in this information security space. I mean, you just, you got to have it. And and, um, you know, that's that's a change for some they, they didn't have vendors didn't have to do that in some cases. Um, the other thing is better oversight of when that access is actually done on our network. So we've um, instituted things such as uh, jump boxes that are segregated from a sense um, uh, when the when the um, connection the network's made, then they go from there to what only can be accessed for it or what the vendor needs to access. So put in place a several other controls. Mostly it's gone back to the um, administrative stuff with contracting and making sure there's a great understanding between um, between the organizations. What we've seen with a challenge with that is usually liability stuff. Um, liability caps in the contracting process is always seems to be the holdup. Nobody wants to be responsible if there is a data uh, breach of some sort. So that's always challenging. Uh, fortunately, we have some talented folks that negotiate that and make make it happen. Yeah, so those those connections between you and the CIO and and legal and compliance. I mean, there's just a huge number of folks that you and marketing. I don't know. There's yeah. there's a huge number of folks that you as a CISO need to be really interacting with that perhaps five ten years ago just wasn't happening. It wasn't necessary. Yeah, spot on. I, the there's no longer a siloed um, mentality in information security. I mean, you have to partner across the board with with others, um, other leaders, senior leaders in the organization. Um, the CIO is definitely our chief medical information officer, chief legal officer, chief privacy officer. All of these um, all of these folks are crucial to to building that um, the, building your culture for information security um, and being successful. Let's talk about, so, you know, this whole third party thing with, um, do you find that this creates some friction or some issues with the business owners 
uh, as you're trying to make sure these apps that are coming on board are properly vetted from a security point of view. And now we mentioned the whole thing about going back and dealing with everyone. Talk about the level of involvement between IT security and the business owners. You know, it almost like a three-legged stool. You've got IT security, you've got your mm -hmm. internal business owners, then you've got the vendor of that particular product. Do you find that there you're still working through how that's got to proceed for an efficient process of these third-party reviews? Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, so what what we've seen is the the first the business owner, they they just they don't really care in the sense of they don't really know about information security. They don't know about the IT stuff. All they know is, hey, I got this new system or whatever it is. I got to bring online to to fulfill my my business operations um, uh, services. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're doing that. Um, and and then we as uh, security practitioners have to go out and say, okay, we got to do all these checks and, and uh, make sure it's good before we actually allow that onto our network. So there is, um, th there, there is a little bit there with that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, uh, and I got some great people on my team that actually do the, um, the, the uh, assessments and whatnot um, to make sure that there's, that the system is going to be good before it goes on the network. But as a as a senior leader, my job is really to then interact with that business owner, make sure that they understand why we have to do this and, and make sure that we're all all trying to get to the same goal, which is to provide outstanding patient care and and really make sure that that patient knows that their data is actually going to be safe with uh, Asante to do that. So um, we have a very good awareness program um, internally. So we really get the message out to the clinicians and other business owners across the organization, whether they're in clinic, clinical space or not, um, to really know what we're doing and to be there and answer their questions um, if they have any around information security. When I first started in 2016, it, it there wasn't a lot of uh, just culturally just unaware of information security, to, to say it bluntly. Um, now, anyone you ask, I would say, is, is very aware of what we do, what we're doing and why it's important. Um, and we definitely don't want to be, uh, you know, not have a big, big data breach, right? And and be on the front page news. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the big data breaches have helped IT security professionals to get their jobs done. It's almost like a, a chicken and egg thing or a circular uh, pattern <laughs> where, you know, you need to do things in order to protect the organization. The, the news coming out about when those breaches happen helps you get that done because, it's everyone knows about it. You don't have to be an IT person. Everyone reads about health systems being down for months, tens of millions of dollars, and that helps you to get things done. Yeah, and it it, it definitely does. Um, you know, I I don't like going into in front of the the board or my boss. Uh, this, I report to the CIO. I don't like going in front of using any sort of like a um, FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt model um, to them to, to pitch any ideas. But, you know, nowadays, I don't even have to do that because it's out there um, and they and they know about these things. So the question instead of, um, you know, what why we have to do these things, it's more of what do we have to do to prevent these things? And so that's a much that you're that you're in a much better position to go and uh, pitch an idea um, when when that's the thought process to, to the board and, and the higher level executives. Yeah, you talk about communicating with those business owners. I think they can get their mind around a new vendor coming on. 
that seems to me pretty pretty much that you could understand that. I think where I'm guessing there's a little more friction is a renewal of licenses with an existing vendor, and you come in and say, well, we have a new process now because there's there there's more risk or whatever, so we need to look at this differently. You can't just renew the license. We're using this as a tripwire to get these guys checked out with our new our new vetting process. So that takes a little more discussion, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, it always introduces, uh, well, the fear on the business owner's part is, well, this is going to introduce delays right. and we may, you know, we may go beyond our renewal. And so what, right. you know, what does that mean? And, and yeah, that's, and, and typically what we see is the renewals don't get processed until they're, they're due like zero hour almost. Right. <laughs> so exactly. Stuck, yep. Yeah. We get, yeah. We get stuck in this weird, weird spot. And so um, at times, you know, and, and we don't want information security to be seen as like a roadblock to getting things done. I mean, there are times when uh, the situations like this arise and, you know, we've been customers uh, or partners rather with this vendor for an awful long time, nothing bad's happened. So we can put a, uh, we can put like a um, contingency in place that we'll just move forward, but we will still assess and then address findings as we go. Um, we've done that model uh, with several of our vendors that, that we know have been uh, that are strong on the information security front. Um, and that seems to work pretty well. But it, yeah, the sooner you can get out ahead and communicate this and get in front of the business owner and you know have timely time on your side, the better it's going to be for everyone. Yeah. So you got to find out when those almost proactively find out about when licenses are coming up. So you don't get that last second email that says, if we don't renew tomorrow, our costs are going up 50% on these licenses. You just got to rubber stamp this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it happens quite a bit, actually, that um, zero hour email and uh, it's surprising, but everybody's busy and within and, you know, not to make excuses too much, but the last several years have been very tough in, in healthcare. The clinicians have been, um, you know, and business owners have been focused on patient care. And a lot of times these things kind of slip through the cracks because they just don't think about it because it's usually business as usual. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we got to take care of this. Right. And that's what happens. So it's an interesting point you made, which is if this has been a vendor that's been us with us for a while and they've been fine, we're going to take that into consideration in terms of, okay, you can renew those licenses. We're still going to do our process, but we're not going to prevent things from moving forward. If you had a different scenario where uh, perhaps there had been issues, uh, might you handle that differently? Could there be other scenarios where you would not want to go ahead with just a, these guys have been great to us approach? Yeah. Um, yes. And and it would be a, a couple of things. Uh, we do use some third-party vendor management tools that let us assess a, a supplier's uh, risk um, from an information security standpoint. This is usually seen on things on the external, but it does tell things that there's been reported data breaches or something that may have happened with the supplier. If that comes up, then yeah, we will, we will pump the brakes and mm -hmm. we will do a thorough review and make sure that things are handled. However, you know, one thing I've seen, though, is usually when an organization experiences a uh, a breach of sort or um, some sort of security incident, uh, you know, they really they do a really good job to make sure that things are now where they should have been before or or perhaps they were and they had a uh, unfortunate thing like a um, social engineering attack or something that that got through. But by and large, after an event happens, security hygiene is drastically improved um, at a supplier. Yeah, I find it very interesting. Um, it's almost like a dichotomy. So I, I speak to a lot of CISOs and CIOs at health systems. And, you know, the the attitude that, that, that we all have is, um, 
if you're doing your best, that's great. You're following NIST. You're doing. You're following some guidelines. Whatever. You're you're doing your best. Things are going to happen. You're going to have breaches, and we get mm-hmm. that. And we're sort of very forgiving. Um, but at least now, I don't know if that ex- is extending to third parties. The attitude is just a little harsher when it comes to third parties. But perhaps they're due, as you mentioned. Perhaps. Uh, you know, based on each incident or or each scenario is different, they're do the same kind of forgiveness if they've really tried as anyone else's. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, and it's actually kind of happened um, with Asante. We had a we had one of our third party. Um, what do we call them? Community. We call them in the Epic world. We use Epic as our uh, as our electronic medical record system, uh, but we call them Community Connect partners. And these are other other health systems that uh, are health entities that actually use our, our uh, EMR to facilitate their own patient care operations. Well, we had one of those um, who were a victim to ransomware. Right. And we had to, we had a very, <laughs> had to do a very thorough um, investigation on our own network because uh, they were connected to it to make sure we were fine. But coming out of that, um, we put in place a more contractually better uh, information security hygiene requirements from, from this partner and they went all in. They've done they've done a ton of stuff, and to the point where we you know we meet with them quarterly now to go over what they're doing and and uh, this is what's on deck and sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it's incredible what what happens when there an event can happens at some place. It really just kind of opens the eyes of of others. Um, and I think this kind of goes back to when you kind of know leaders not in information security. They kind of know that. In the back of their mind, there there could be something like this, but it's not something they're thinking about all the time until mm-hmm. it happens. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, um, you know, what what do we need to do now? So we've kind of experienced that and we've seen and we've seen what um, what an event will do to a third party. Yeah. And I'm guessing uh, it's just like everything else. What you want is you want them to be doing the best they can, doing everything reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then I would imagine you definitely want that communication as soon as possible you don't want to find out they sat on something that get, that that had you exposed for longer than they needed to correct that's right um in this particular instance that happened um we asante actually wasn't informed that something had happened for uh, it was about eight eight hours after the initial event happened um so going back to that con- contractual uh, language we now have a uh, there's a line in there for that 30 minutes that we need to be notified if something happens. Um, and you know, that that's been, that's been good so far. Uh, and you know, but yeah, you're right. It, it, Cause everybody's behind the eight ball after a certain amount of time. Um, after eight hours goes by, that's some, your network could be a uh, compromise for all we know. And, and it's a uh, very difficult to remediate. Uh, were you the CISO or was it David at that time? when that went down yeah so um it was actually um it was actually david i was uh i was the manager at the time mm-hmm. uh, and we uh we went ahead and you know i work we worked very closely together and we just we did what we had to do but it was a <laughs> it was a very um stressful uh stressful time um yeah you know at that time uh maybe i'm sure it didn't feel good right this is not pleasant i'm not enjoying this but um, in a certain way to have that on your resume is very beneficial in a sense, because how many people have gone through it, worked through it. And now on the other side, you have a perspective that not everybody else has. 
Yeah, that it, that is a that's a great point, and it, it's true. Um, going through it now, you can it really it really does bring to light the things that you need to have in place um, to for better prevention. Um, you know, prior prior to this, we we didn't have a couple what I would call a core technologies that deal with the the ransomware threat in place. Um, we had we had a lot of good ones in place, but we just we had a couple gaps, and those gaps were identified by third-party assessments that we do routinely and everything, it just becomes a matter of funding, right? And then and mm. getting it approved. Well, events like this definitely speed up, <laughs> speed up getting approval for funding. Um, you know, and as unfortunate as that is, uh, that's just the reality. Um, but yeah, and going through it, you get all this good, good information, and then you know exactly how to how to put stuff in place to deal with the threat. And that's what we've done. Yeah, you you know you talked a lot about prevention, but I'm sure you've also you know from from going through that uh, a huge part of of uh, being prepared is response, right? What we we tried to prevent it, it didn't work out. Now what are we going to do? Do we have to take systems down? Have we prepared the organization for what that might look like? Um, and I know there's only so much that can be done from the IT side and even IT security to make sure that the organization is prepared to go to IT downtime procedures, meaning we don't have, we cannot use the application that we've used to deliver our service, our care. Um, what do you think is security's role in making sure the organization is prepared to go to paper? How much do you have yeah. to do to ensure that when you say, guys, I got to shut us down, they have any clue or they've done any practicing on what to do? Yeah. Um, so good points. Good questions. Uh, so there, this is very much a joint um, responsibility across Asante uh, as, as far as being prepared for, for this sort of um, incident. Um, so information security's role for, for our downtime is, uh, if we have to go to paper, is really to make sure that backups are, um, are good, um, that they are stored properly, um, we have offsite, and that data is, the integrity of that data is sound. Um, so we have that. We have hospital emergency operations team that uh, that does have those protocols in place for paper. But we also have a separate informatics uh, division that handles all the epic stuff if it has to go to any sort of downtime procedures. But so it's very much a joint effort across the board. Um, additionally, information security at Asante, we're responsible for the um, coordinating those tabletop exercises. Those things, those um, walkthroughs to make sure that everything is prepared. Um, we also go through um, doing other simulations uh, with um, with other systems. So uh, critical systems, we'll, we'll typically do restore exercises on them. Um, and we do annual, we do do annual disaster recovery exercises with the EMR. Um, so actually working on the, working on the backup, um, the backup system. So all these things go into, um, annual exercises that are documented and just are used to say, okay, we've done this in the event that we may have to go to this sort of these things at times, you know, in 2020, um, late 2020 in the fall, Asante, we had a wildfire in Southern Oregon mm -hmm. that uh, just, I mean, it burned nearly two, two towns down um, and was, it was within two miles of the hospital. Um, and <laughs> this, this became the realization of, we may have to actually activate a plan like this. Um, 
And we'll say that when that happened, we were more prepared than I than I had expected because of these uh, these drills and these exercises we have done. Now, yes, it would have definitely been chaos um, and everything like that, of course. But you know, it was it was a little testament to some of the stuff we've done um, over the years um, leading up to disaster recovery planning. So you actually felt more comfortable based on the work you'd done. Not perfect, but you felt like okay, we're not completely lost here. As opposed to having that other feeling when a wildfire is coming close and perhaps you're looking for the playbook and you can't find yeah. it and you realize it hasn't been updated. And yeah. and uh, so so you had that was a good feeling to say, OK, we're not we're not in a bad position. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think instead of uh, thinking, um, gee, are we going to have the systems and the technology to facilitate patient care instead of that being the, the major concern, it was more so. The facility, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, you know, the, the 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 offices, the rooms, the surgery rooms, all those places, um, you know, have, had the wildfire reached, you know, you know that that is a serious thing because um, Asante is the we're a level two trauma center, and we we do take on a majority of patients in this um, this area. Yeah, and that was uh, like the Katrina thing in New Orleans where they had to leave, got to get out of the right. hospital. All the patients have to be moved and. Yep. Um, That's where we were. <laughs> yeah. Um, we only have a couple minutes, actually, one minute or so left. Um, I would like to end on a lighter note. Uh, Work-life balance, which doesn't necessarily mean a lighter note, right? That's a very serious issue, burnout. They talk about it with clinicians, but I can't imagine any more, anyone is more prone to burnout than CISOs. Um, I really do. I mean, you could probably just have this consuming your mind 24-7. Um, anything could happen. I, I read online, I don't know if it was LinkedIn or somewhere where you said you enjoy golf. So, I mean, that is something that could take you away as long as you're not one of those guys that's taking business calls on the course the whole time, annoying your, your partners. But anyway, um, your thoughts on sort of work-life balance and making sure that you as a security professional get that mental break and perhaps, you know, push the reins off to, to your uh, director or someone who works with you and say, you know, let me know if there's an emergency, but I think you got this for the next day or couple of days or week or even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Work-life balance. Um, very, very important. Um, I, I do like golf. That's what I, I, I do play um, when I'm not working. Um, and I fortunate, I'm very fortunate that I have people that I work with that I can trust and do exactly that and say, Hey, can you, can you take this on for me while I'm gone? In fact, I've had um, several people just volunteer that for me because um, just making good um, good friend friends and peers and in, in across the health system. So that that's been absolutely great. Um, I actually extend the work life balance concept to the team because we've been we've been having um, small you know smaller teams dealing with a lot more stuff, and so we've been considering things like um, you know how four-day work weeks for example mm -hmm. can, can that is that something we were entertained we are thinking about that i mean that is something it's crucial to make sure that all your staff is able to just disconnect and do things and i know you know three days off is a lot better than than two you know and and now uh having processes in place that can stagger that appropriately um across the uh the workload is great so you know i'd say one thing that also has has kind of been a um maybe a backfire in a sorts um before the pandemic, we were all in the office, we were working and, you know, we go in, we put our time in and we'd leave that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Well, now we're all working remotely um, in front of our computers all the time. And I, I would, uh, I could make a good argument that 
we're working more than we were before. Um, people are getting up earlier. They're at their desk. They're working a lot. They're, you know, they take their breaks. They come back. They even pick it up at night after dinner because it's just, it's there. Um, so it's really making sure everybody understands, hey, just just do your work and take your time off and get away from it. But that's been a backfire of sorts. People have been working, I think, a lot more than they than they were before. Um, so anyways, you got balancing that too <laughs> has been a challenge for, for some. I totally agree with you. I think yeah. people, a lot of people are working harder than ever and um, not getting sort of even those small breaks that you would normally get in the yeah. old world. Uh, because you can have those zooms back to back to back to back. I mean, yeah. I've talked to people um, who just say they're in meetings, you know, 10, 12 hours a day and really very mentally fried at the like not well, not healthy at the yeah. end of the day. So, yes, that's something to be cognizant of. Alfonso, wonderful interview. I want to thank you so much for our time, for your time. I'm sure our folks are going to enjoy it. Really appreciate it, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you.